Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Episode number 14 guest, Lauren Chiarello, recently sent me an article on Forbes featuring today's guest, and I immediately reached out to her to have her on the show. Hannah Olson is the founder of Chronically Capable, which she created after several years of managing Lyme disease and trying to maintain a full-time job. So welcome, Hannah. Hi, it's great to be here. So happy to have you here and so glad that we made this work time-wise with you in New York and you don't even live here. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. I'm Hannah Olson. I am the co-founder and CEO of Chronically Capable. Chronically Capable is a web application that connects chronically ill and disabled persons to short-term, part-time, and full-time remote work opportunities. I am based in Washington, D.C., but like you said, happen to be in New York for the week, so great timing and happy to be here. Love that. So let's dig into your health a little bit. How did your Lyme diagnosis come about? So I was diagnosed with Lyme as a sophomore in college. Like many people with Lyme, it took a bit to figure that out. There were many different diagnoses and doctors and a lot of things on the table, and I was finally diagnosed in 2015. I've had a pretty different experience with Lyme than a lot of people. I have been able to get back on my feet pretty quickly. Um, I'm doing well right now. I'm in remission, but it was a a rocky few years. I had four different PICC lines. Can you explain for listeners that are not aware of what a PICC line is, what it is? A PICC line is a peripherally inserted central catheter, and it's essentially a permanent IV that is in the arm that extends to right above the heart. And they can be in your arm for anywhere from a few weeks to long-term care for about two years. Many people that will have PICC lines can't have it for more than six months just because infections can come up, but it's a permanent IV. I had one for four days. I'm checking out Mm. the scar. Four days they put one in? Yeah, they put it in because they thought it was going to be a long-term thing. And then they realized once they did blood work that it was not really doing its job. So I was thankful that it was taken out, but it was quite the four days of like getting used to and acclimated to administering these drugs. And as you said, a foreign object for sure. It's definitely a weird sensation. You know, it's kind of like a crawling under your skin type of sensation at first. But then after two years, it was almost like it wasn't there. Well, and you came in here and you're pointing to your scars that you have and saying you want to do something with it. What are you thinking? I don't know. My parents aren't huge fans of tattoos. I already have one. They dealt with that one. So I might get another one. I think I need to give myself an ode to my fight with Lyme. I mentioned before we started recording that Allie Hilfiger's book, Bite Me, was a really great read for me and just finding someone who shared a very similar story to mine. So I've thought about getting Bite Me somewhere. It could be on top of the scars. I'm not sure. But, you know, I'm thinking of something. My creative juices are flowing. And that's a shout out to episode number 33 guest, Allie Hilfiger, who talked about her experience with Lyme and her book, Bite Me. 
So a big part of your story is that you had to have IV therapy and this PICC line in for up to six hours each day. How did you navigate that and working a full-time job, especially straight out of college? Yeah, so when most people graduate college, they're ready to go enter the real world. And about a few weeks after my graduation, I was informed that I had to get a PICC line in my arm. So my plans changed quite a bit. Um, I spent that first summer just kind of getting acclimated to what's it like having a foreign object in your arm. Um, and when I entered the workforce back in 2017, I did have this added difficulty of having a pick line in my arm for six hours a day and taking 28 pills a day on top of that. You know, this obviously it wasn't compatible with working and going in and out of meetings and meeting with clients. I was just always trying to hide it. I didn't want anyone to know that I had the pick line, so it was always inside of my shirt which caused a lot of health complications because it's not something that you can mess around with. So, you know, it was a lot of just learning how to balance the two. But the pick line, while it was a difficult treatment to have, I think for me it was a great way to just kind of nip it in the butt. I think a lot of people don't want to go down that heavy antibiotics route, and a lot of people are right about that. It's not good for a lot of people. But for me, I'm kind of the like, let's do the most hardcore thing possible and get this shit over with, and that's what I did. But luckily, I've got my pick line removed back in this past May, so I'm pick line free, and I probably won't get another one ever again, just because it's been a lot of pick lines at this point, and I don't want another one. So thinking back, we haven't had many guests or any that I can truly recall that had pick lines long term. So by taking it, you know, intravenously. Does that mean that you don't need to take the 28 pills that you were taking? Like, what does that mean for your life and managing your Lyme at this point? So for me, I, you know, a pick line was the last option. And that was because I had tried pills. And my biggest issue was I was losing weight at a rapid speed. And I couldn't really keep up with, you know, trying to feed myself and take these pills, which just destroy your stomach, the heavy antibiotics. So the perks of having a pick line were that it bypasses the stomach and goes straight into your body. And so I was not getting sick anymore and was able to actually hold the drugs down and was actually getting better. Whereas when I was taking the pills, we had no idea if they were going into my system because I would get sick right after I took them. So for some people, they will do a combination of both or one or the other. I did a combo of both. I did still take the 28 pills a day. That was going down from 40-something without a pick line. So for me, you know, that was prime time. But I did become my own nurse and my own doctor. I, I did all of the pick line myself. I had someone come once a week that would clean it. But otherwise, I was my own self-sufficient doctor. That's pretty hardcore coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, at 21, you're not – I didn't go to med school, so it was pretty hardcore. And so how did you manage all of this emotionally? I mean, you know, it sounds like you were hiding it at work, but what about with friends and, you know, being an early 20-something, you want to, I'm sure, in some way fit in. You know, I know that from my own health stuff of wanting to fit in as a younger person and not stand out. So how did you navigate that? Nobody wants to be seen as different, and that's just – how life is these days. You might want to be different in, you know, in terms of your style. You might want to do something that's a little alternative or change your hairstyle. But when it comes to having something that people stare at you, you know, it's hard. And I was constantly hiding it. Um, my close friends and family all knew about the pick line and everyone that knew about it didn't have a problem with it. But in my own head, I had this perception that I was different or I was weird. And I was also combating, you know, these different moments where you'd get really sick in public. 
I was taking drugs that are similar to being on chemo. So you get sick. And dealing with that public shame of, you know, throwing up in a trash can on the side of the street, that's a lot to deal with. But I had great friends and family that stuck by my side and would tell me, you know, we don't see you any differently. And I think hearing that over and over would really just resonate with me. And also, I'm not one of those people that really gives a fuck when it comes down to it. Like, at the end of the day, I had to do this to live. So, you know, I did it. Props to you for that. Appreciate that mentality. Let's dig into chronically capable because it's such an amazing concept. And I love that someone as young as you has realized that there's a need for this and there's a market for it. So what is the concept? How did you decide that this was something that you wanted to pursue and not just hope that someone else did it? Yeah. So I started that first job out of college where I wasn't working nine to five. It was a lot longer than that. And just trying to balance the pick line and and all of this, it just became too much. And I reached a point where I said, you know, is it worth my sanity? And is it worth sacrificing my health for my career? I'm only 21. And I just was like, this is stupid. I shouldn't be hiding my pick line inside my shirt and getting infections and going to the hospital because of this. This is dumb. And so I kind of had a tipping point. And that's also when some of the greatest business ideas come about is when someone has a pain point that they feel themselves and they have an aha moment, well, I could do this better, or this shouldn't be the case. And this was a point of time where I said, you know, I have the chance now to do something about this. I could have gone the route of, you know, complaining to my old employer or asking for more accommodations, but instead I wanted to do something bigger and do something about the problem. So disability unemployment in the United States, it's double that of non-disabled Americans, regardless of gender. So chronically capable is aiming to eliminate this vast gap. But we're not hoping to stop just there. We're also hoping to serve chronically ill individuals, which is expected to be 50% of the population by 2020. So the timeliness of this initiative is what was so important. When I was reading online and seeing these statistics, and I kept seeing 2020 sticking out to me, and I realized 2020 is next year. And if we're predicting that half of our population is going to live with at least one chronic illness by 2020, like, we need to wake the fuck up. And when I started to read these Facebook groups and, you know, these different communities, everyone was talking about this. But I realized after a few simple Google searches that this didn't exist. And there are different competitors such as Upwork and Fiverr and different, you know, remote work websites. But the problem is that these are oversaturated. So the remote work market's growing extremely fast. It's growing 115% faster than the rest of the workforce, but the current market leaders are oversaturated. So what happens is there's little opportunity for work here, especially for those who are chronically ill and don't have as much drive to be applying for more things and putting themselves out there as much. So there's this void here and these chronically ill people, they have the drive to work and they often have the mental ambitions, but they just might not be able to go into a physical office space due to their physical condition. I had a client who worked at Upwork a few years ago, and I'll never forget this, but she didn't have a flexible work schedule. Mm -hmm. And it was such a fascinating thing that this is their premise, that it's like flexible and, you know, the ability to work from anywhere, do anything is what the concept of the business is. But their employees of the company had to be in an office. And when they wanted vacation time, it was like such a struggle for her to get. It was really wild. That's crazy. I mean, in 2017, only 3% of Upwork's registered users actually completed a job on the site. So that means 97% of their users aren't actually finishing jobs because only 3% getting the jobs. So there's a huge problem. 
So they look like they're the market leaders, but then people aren't actually getting work. Right. A few years ago, when I was dealing with some crazy health stuff in 2012, I was working at a company and I took off for, I think, 10 days to have a major surgery, not knowing that I would need to take more time off. And my boss was really compassionate at that time and she was cool with it and understanding. And then when I realized what the recovery was and that 10 days was definitely not enough, I ended up taking medical leave for two months and her compassion level just dropped more and more of like, I've got to run this business. You're screwing with me right now because I don't know if, you know, you're going to be coming back when you're going to be coming back. I've got to take care of my clients and all that, which I understood. But she just personally was not as compassionate as she could be. So what are the benefits of employing people with chronic illnesses or disabilities? Well, so that's the most common question I get by investors, by, you know, the companies that we're trying to onboard. They say, why would I hire someone with a chronic illness over someone without one? But the reality is, is that people can become chronically ill at any point in their life. You could fall off a ladder and break your spine and have chronic pain for the rest of your life. It can happen at any point. And a lot of people with really incredible experience have had to leave the workforce and come back. And they already have that experience. That experience doesn't go away. And so the companies like Microsoft and Accenture, they're way ahead of all the rest. So I think when companies come to us and say, why would we hire chronically ill people? I say, well, I'm glad you're coming to me because you're you're behind. You know, these people, they not only are able to adapt to situations really well, I spoke about that in my most recent article, is the adaptability standpoint. You know, we've had to adapt our entire life or our entire experience with our illness. So that translates really well into the workforce. But also, chronically ill people make up 20% of our workforce. So what are you going to do? Cut out 20% of your workforce? These people are already working for you. You just might not know it. And you might be losing these people because you're not actually taking care of them and, and asking them. And so do you ask in your exit interviews, why are you leaving? And do you ask them, is it because you're sick? Is it because you have something going on? And oftentimes this is the case. You know, I think I like to always come back to the point of Chronically ill does not mean that you're sick in a hospital bed necessarily. And I always love to say to people, you know, would you hire me? Because I'm totally capable of working. And I think it just varies and it depends. And so it's hard to have this big blanket term that chronically ill means you're sick in a hospital bed. And so many times it's just simple, small accommodations that employers need to make and that will satisfy them. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are people that are mostly old school that think you need to be in a nine to five job sitting in a cubicle. And that's the only way that work can get done. And I think especially in starting a business of my own, I realized that doesn't matter where I am in the world, I can still be productive. I can still serve my clients the way that I need to. You know, I travel to Tel Aviv a few times a year for large chunks of time. And my clients are like, oh, are you going to be working while you're there? I'm like, you wouldn't even know that I'm gone. And for me, it's just creating a schedule and a lifestyle that makes it valuable for me to be the best that I can for my clients. And if that means that I need a nap in the middle of the day, or I have a doctor's appointment, or last week I went down to the National Institute of Health, and I was there for a full day, but between every test that I was doing, I was responding to emails, like no one's ever challenged me on, you're not doing a good job and running your business well, because you've got this chronic illness. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. 
No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace, through a secure online platform, and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com backslash made visible and entering promo code made visible. That's better com slash made visible. And now back to the show. So what's the criteria for people on chronically capable? What does that need to look like? So right now, what you see on Chronically Capable, which is www.wearecapable.org, it's pretty robust. We're in the early stages of development. And we aren't specifically asking what your condition is, but you simply go to the website, you can upload your resume, and you'll be sent job opportunities that are relevant to your skills and experience. And this is obviously going to develop and change more. Like I mentioned, we're still in the early stages of development. Our MVP only launched on April 24th. So I see in the next year, tons of developments coming. And I know we've got a lot of exciting things to come. Yeah. And I noticed on the site, you have a great list of frequently asked questions because there's a lot of things to consider when putting your resume out and trying to decide what information you disclose or don't disclose. And so for the companies that you have worked with thus far, why is it that they're interested in working with you? That's a great question. I think the companies that have come to us directly and organically are companies that have read articles and heard about us and realized, whoa, maybe this is something we should be considering and realizing they are behind. And it's also companies that may have relation to chronic illness, and they may know someone, they may be affected by it themselves. And so it's really varied based on the company, but a lot of them are asking for help and for resources as well. We've realized it's one thing to hire someone with a chronic illness, and it's a whole other thing to retain someone with a chronic illness. And so as I mentioned, there's a lot to come with the business. And so hopefully that's something we'll be rolling out is more resources for the employers because as soon as you hire this person, you then need to know, you know, how do I maintain this day-to-day interaction with them? So would you consider yourself like a matchmaking tool for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities and employers? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Just, you know, like an Indeed But Indeed is broad, and it's not necessarily just focused on remote work. And is it exclusively remote work? Right now, we're focused only on remote work. And that is just because people's situations vary so much. I can see a chance of having flexible work opportunities because I'm someone who actually doesn't love to work remote. I've been doing it since June, so it's only been a few months. But I go kind of crazy when I'm alone. Um, I work from home with my dog, and I feel like I talk to my dog more than I talk to humans. So, you know, I'm someone who would like to be in an office, so flexible work for me makes more sense. And I think that a lot of people resonate with that, but the large majority of our applicants would prefer remote opportunities. So that's what we're focusing on to start. So are they checking off certain boxes? So as you sign up and you go through the sign-up flow, you can check off if you're looking for short-term, part-time, full-time. 
What kind of response are you getting from people, whether from the chronic illness side or from the employer side? Response has been overwhelming. We've received a lot of positive press this year, which was just by chance. Um, We've spent $0 on marketing this entire year since October 1st of 2018. So no paid ads, nothing. And so all of this has just kind of happened by random connections and chance and Twitter. Every time that an article comes out, there's an overflow of positive response for a few weeks following the articles. And, you know, it's been a mixture, a lot of positive response, especially from the chronically ill people. You know, I've had people saying like, thank you. I need this. This is like you're answering my prayers. And then I've also had, you know, conversations with employers that have asked the same question you asked before, you know, why would I hire someone? But overall, I think people are just really excited about the fact that there's a young girl taking over this, you know, this is a challenging thing to do. I realized like a week ago, I probably could have focused on just Lyme people and that would have been a great audience, but I'm overly ambitious and decided to focus on all of the chronic illnesses. So, you know, there's a lot of people signing up. We're still getting dozens of signups a day, but following an article, we can get anywhere to like hundreds a day. So it really just depends. But the overall response has just been excitement and a lot of questions, a lot of Europeans, shout out to Europe, who are asking like, hey, are you guys open in Europe yet? And we're not yet. That's obviously something that I hope that we'll be able to do. But a lot of Europeans asking. Interesting. And then obviously you got to learn all that information about European laws that's different than U.S., which I'm sure is a lot to learn. And you will. How do you manage your health and taking care of you while building this business, especially at such a young age? It's a challenge. I'm still learning. I think that people have this idea that to be an entrepreneur, it's like you're just born that way and you're just, you know, you're one of these people who grew up entrepreneurial and you're smart and you're quick and you're always making connections. And that's actually not the case for me. I'm definitely a connection maker. I could talk to a tree if I had to, but I'm not used to working this much. I've always just kind of like been someone in my books. I like to work and do it and get it done. But there's a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm getting used to the uncertainty. But balancing my health has been a challenge. I, I'm feeling okay right now. And that's kind of scary. Um, I just feel this kind of like looming, like maybe I might get sick again. And that freaks me out. But I'm doing well. So I'm trying to ride off that. But I'm not just working on this. Um, so this is my full-time job. I do consider it, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday. But I also have four or five part-time jobs. And that's to pay my bills because startups aren't glamorous. And, you know, I'm busting my ass to make this happen because I care deeply about our mission. But I have the reality of DC rent and a puppy and, you know, an expensive taste. And so I'm working at a store and at a concert venue and dog walking and doing a lot of random side jobs. That's like a hustle. And I think that's what entrepreneurs do. And so, you know, trying to make sure I take time for myself and eat well. I just started exercising sort of, if that counts. Of course it counts. (laughs) A few small runs. (laughs) So what kind of like self-care routine do you have? I'm probably the most low-maintenance human being that exists. I like deodorant, (laughs) brush my teeth, brush my hair. 
and walk out the door, no makeup. And I've never been someone that actually does, you know, a routine in the morning and, you know, the essential oils, you brought those out. (laughs) I wish I was that type of person because I think you need a routine in order to be a healthy person. I think routine is really important in getting well because it adds structure. But I honestly think having a dog has been that for me. I just got one in April. And having that routine of going outside and taking forced breaks to get air and actually go on a walk and leaving my cell phone at home for 15 minutes throughout the day has been the best routine per se because it just adds like breaks. Otherwise, you can get so sucked into your computer and into your phone and social media. Like it's exhausting. So having just the dog walks has been my routine. But no, I don't have a typical Well, I don't think there's such thing as a typical routine or a typical way of self-care. I think it's totally what works for you and benefits you. I think everyone has different ways of doing it. People do bubble baths and face masks, and that's what works for them. Right. And like, I'm not interested in that. (laughs) So there's not a right way. I think it's just figuring out what makes you feel your best to be able to deliver, you know, being the best employee for these part-time jobs that you have and being the best business owner that you can. So- What is next for Chronically Capable? What are your hopes for the company down the road? My goal is to completely eliminate the unemployment gap between disabled and non-disabled Americans. And that's a big-ass goal. But I hope to do that. But in the future and in the near future, I really hope that we can roll out more resources for employers, as I mentioned. I think that's the big next step. I'm actually going to be starting a course at Harvard on media and literature in focusing on illness and health. Um, So it's through Harvard Medical School. Um, And I'm hoping that that course will help me to create some resources that are, you know, with the stamp of approval of Harvard, which would be really great, and working with doctors and medical professionals to create resources for these employers. So that's my next short-term goals. Um, I'm nervous to go back to school and having like a structure as well, but luckily it's remote. (laughs) That works. So where can people learn more about you and Chronically Capable and post or apply for jobs? So as mentioned earlier, our website is www.wearecapable.org. Still do not understand how no civil rights movement or anyone took wearecapable.org. It cost me 12 bucks. I really don't get that. Like you would think that someone would have, we yeah, are capable. very odd. But whatever. And our Instagram is at chronicallycapable. And our Twitter is at chronic capable because they don't let you have a lot of letters in mm, Twitter. so annoying. I okay, know. we'll be sure to put all those links into the show notes. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram and join our new online community, facebook.com slash Made Visible Podcast community. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grissio for the design.